Hi guys, I'm Eugene Lavery. Welcome to the first episode of my brand new podcast, Pre-Pro. As the name suggests, I'm going to be speaking to various athletes, in particular motorbike racers, car drivers and cyclists about their journey to becoming a professional sports person. Um, it's essentially covering the first few chapters of, let's say, a would-be autobiography, because for me that's always uh, the most interesting part of any book that, that I read. So, without further ado, I'll introduce you to uh, my first guest, your man, rides under the number 38, it's Bradley Smith. Welcome, Bradley. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, first guest. I don't know if that's pressure or not, but it's kind of a, a freebie for us, it's a throwaway, so uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. So, what did you think when I asked you yesterday to be my first guest? Do you think, well, she's not usually somebody that's technoed up or anyone that has a clue about social media, but I just thought, you know what, I'm going head first in, this is something that I want to hear, so why not be the host? Yeah, I suppose like with, with you, um, I know that you think about things, and if it meant that you were kind of, if you asked me, I knew that you had you'd planned it, if that makes sense. Um, and then yeah, just uh, a case of, it is what we, it is what we want to know. Um, I think everybody, enjoys like especially the the supercross off seasons um you know that little bit of behind the scenes um following the 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 guys is always great to to watch and then any type of autobiography any type of documentary where you see kind of where these guys come from um we know there's so much stories and there's so much information about all these people that are in the limelight um it's actually sometimes nice to kind of see the progress uh through to to get in there and most people, it's not, it's not glitz and glamour like mm. it is. You know, once you are pro, right? You know, it's very much, uh, yeah, grassroots, um, doing everything by yourself, sleeping in the back of transit vans, and and going racing. So, you know, or swinging a, a tennis racket, um, or golf clubs. You know, with with your dad normally. You know, some some family members or with your dad. So, uh, yeah, I think most people's is all similar, which makes it relatable but also there's some uh, some fun and little differences that that definitely make people stand out so yeah yeah that's it it's the old rule of 10,000 hours of practice of becoming uh, a perfectionist of what you do and the the tale of an overnight sensation <laughs> generally isn't the case is it <laughs> that's what everybody sees and that's I think what we want to kind of unearth because everybody started from from zero um we all had our first time on a bicycle and then a motorbike. Both you and I did the transition from motocross to road racing, and uh, that's uh, I think something we did at a similar age. So that's uh, the first thing I want to touch on is because in a lot of sports, let's look at cycling. You know, it's defined whenever you become professional because you get your first pro contract. As a boxer as well, it's like okay, I'll give up on my Olympic dream or I've won my Olympic medal. It's time to turn pro now. And that's something that people ask us, oh, how long have you been professional? And when you're first asked, you think, uh, well, to find pro, I don't know, was it my first contract? Was it the first time I got paid? For me, I always think of when I turned professional, essentially, was my first year in World Championship in 2007 when I moved to the 250 Grand Prix World Championship. Because before that, I'd been in a rookies program in the UK and just out of school. So I would say... For me, 2007 was my first year pro. What would you define as your moment going professional? Uh, yeah, I think first year in World Championship. So I was there in 2006, um, as, you, as you know. Um, 
and I think that that for me was a clear definition because prior to that I had done um, Spanish Championship uh, which was like 2005 which was the Dorna program and then 2006 I, I hadn't oh I wasn't paid but I was like a contract and I was riding for reps at Honda 125 so you put yeah. pen to paper yeah exactly and I had a, a one one year deal um, you know and and you're riding in world championship you know I, I kind of have that feeling especially in our world uh, you know if you are uh, in, in world championship and that is your sole job you know then that that becomes that that defined moment so yeah 15 years old uh, kind of trying to convince my mum that it was okay to send me to to Qatar you know for for that season uh, you know to, to China to Turkey um, you know and then let me go um, all by myself you know uh, to the flyaways at the end of the season um, you know Japan Malaysia Australia doing it by myself because at that moment as well um, the kind of protocol of the team that I was in was no parents you know so it was just like okay 15 years old boom away you go and and make it on your own and looking back I thought I was so ready you know yeah. inside your head you're like yeah I could do this you know this is this is easy um, having looked back at other kids of similar age you wonder how you know parents ever ever let us do do that type of thing um, and then just from a maturity standpoint as well you know uh, you're you're not really ready to deal with that world you're not really uh, ready to deal with the the press and you know the kind of expectation let's say I was the only English rider at that moment Chaz had just um, you know left I think at that point I think Chaz's last season in GPs was 05 so yeah and then obviously you came the next year but for that one season I think I was the only guy maybe Ellison at that year was in Mudgee yeah there really somewhere. wasn't British riders at that stage no so you I kind of first. yeah I kind of found myself like not really with anybody in the paddock if that makes sense you know I was just kind of by myself like trying to make it in in that world and uh yeah, certainly, certainly grew up pretty quick that that year, and it is a a sink or swim. I remember, I think it was uh, a Dunlop technician um, had a quiet word with with my dad, and uh, basically in the first season was like uh, enjoy enjoy the year because you won't get a second, <laughs> you know. And at the, at the at that moment it was harsh, you know. It was like. But in reality, it was the truth. If you've been and seen any of the, the British riders that had come through at that point, you're only going to get one year. You know, if you were lucky, you were basically like paid, you know, Dorna paid uh, and you would ride one season. The results wouldn't be there and, you know, you wouldn't get a second chance. But um, yeah, everybody knows the story. Been there now for 13 years. So uh, was was nice to be the exception to the rule. I think at that stage you had a mature head on your shoulders and that's what set you apart from the rest because um, you were 15 and you went and did the 125 World Championship and like you said, you just switched from motocross to road racing uh, two years prior and uh, trying to convince your mum that no, no, this is a real thing. You were still at school and trying to tell her that I'm going racing. Probably was a good thing that you didn't stop and really take stock of the whole thing because that might have uh, flustered you. It's one of those things with riders at that stage, I think. If you just keep doing what you're doing, uh, performing to the best of your abilities, and then it's like, oh, what do you know? I'm in a world championship. It happened that quickly. So 
over the space of 18 months, you'd uh, went from being a little kid on a motocross bike to <laughs> getting um, a contract in the World Championship. And that's an incredibly short space of time compared to what we achieve now in 18 months. We sign a contract nowadays for two years usually. So we can usually uh, understand what we're going to be doing for the next two years. Whereas you at that stage, that was an incredible step up from just riding a motocross bike to produce routines in the UK and going to Spain, <laughs> being the only British kid in there with a whole load of Spanish uh, kids and not being daunted as well because you went and won the last uh, was it three rounds of the Spanish Championship and that's essentially what uh, secured you the deal to step up the World Championship. If you hadn't have done that, you would have been back to the UK, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, the the simple thing was, yeah, working back. So if we work, you know, if we do this in reverse, kind yeah. of from from pro and then go go backwards. Basically, uh, yeah, two thousand six was first, you know, year in the in the championship. Two thousand five, I was in Spanish championship, as you said. Um, and if we just go back a tiny little bit, two thousand and four, I was riding then super teams. So that was my first season in the in the super teams. I started off as a guy who couldn't even get his knee down in left corners. You know, I just about figured out, um, you know, in the three, four months that I'd been riding before I started the, the start of the season, how to do it in the rights. And, then, you know, as we all remember, the little, like, you know, cheering a helmet or a little fist pump, you know, the first time you get your knee down, you're like, oh, oh, I did it, I did it. Such a big thing, wasn't it? It's, I, it's I a huge assume. thing. It is a huge thing. I just remember druids, you know, turn to laying it in there and like just touching it on the floor. I come out, I was fist pumping, I forgot what <laughs> I was doing the lot. But left hand corners couldn't figure that out. We grew up riding uh, clockwise tracks in the UK, so yeah. they're predominantly right corners, so everybody got their knee down on a right corner first. Trying to get your knee down on the left. That was the next big step, wasn't mine, it? Mine was six months. Six months, six months of racing got... super teams before I managed to figure it out. But uh, <laughs> so, so like, yeah, we, we're going to jump back and forward with this for sure. So uh, it's going to be difficult to follow. But basically, um, my situation was, is I started podiuming towards the end of my first year in uh, super teams. So I started off as a guy, I think I finished like 16th and 14th in my first, you know, round. Yeah. And then uh, hovered, you know, just basically slowly made step forward. So like 16th and then, you know, managed to get a couple of point scoring finishes. Then like my first top 10, then hovered around top six. And by the end of the season was able to be on the podium and kind of sat there uh, with my with my dad and with my granddad at that point. And also um, Craig Polden, who was helping me out quite uh, a lot at that point. He was my mechanic, and we'd known them for, for years. And uh, he'd done the R6 Cup and was kind of like, Brad, you need to do road racing. Like, you know, they were keen supporters of the idea, you know, that I should, should go. I wasn't convinced. I was a dirt guy, but they were. And we kind of sat in a room and we're like, okay, well, you know, what budgets do we have? You know, because it's a big difference trying to buy a £20,000 GP125 compared to, you know, a three and a half grand Aprilia Super Team or, you know, an £1,800 RM85 or 125 <laughs> or whatever it was. So it's like, hey, well, what are we going to do here? And honestly, we're looking at SV650 racing. You know, it was something that Craig had an experience on. He was racing that championship, you know, that season or was going to race that championship. He's like, hey, we can be teammates, share the cost, you know, go go ride in. Um, 
they're actually a Suzuki dealership, so they were going to find, you know, some, some mm. like, spare parts and bits and pieces. And a, f- a few guys in our area um, were actually racing them. And uh, I remember my granddad was just like, uh, I, fa- I, I know a guy, I've spoke, made a few phone calls, um, I'm going to get you a weekend on a GP125, you know, see how it goes. We're not buying one, we're just going to go see how it goes. Was that why you were still riding motocross then? That was when I was riding super teams. Oh, so yeah, like this year. Was, yeah, this was like towards the end, like I said, when I started getting podiums, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. we're going to see how this, how this works. Turned up at Brands Hatch, uh, first time that I met Mark Keane, and Mark Keane uh, obviously was involved uh, with Erta. His dad was Roger Keane, who was the technical director, I think, at one point uh, for Erta for there. And, yeah, just basically rolled our GP125 out the back of a Citroen Berlingo, you know, and we went racing for the weekend, and I think I won the last race at the club level that we were we were riding. That with. was the MRO championship, was it? At the end this, of that year, I saw the you end on of, TV. Yeah, the end of the season, I did MRO, but that one, I want to say it was like Auto sixty six or something like that. It was Brands Hatch Indy anyway, and you know, I basically figured out how to ride this one two five. Um, yeah, won the the last round. And yeah, remember my dad looking at my granddad like we're in trouble, you know, <laughs> just, so then it was like, okay, you know, money went in, then uh, I could actually do the final three rounds of the MRO championship, which was Lydon Hill, Silverstone and Brands. And I think I watched you on TV back then in the MRO championship, it must've been Lydon Hill. Yeah. Because it was on uh, Mutter's TV and you could follow the championship and that was really the first race. That I saw you at that stage, and you were young, and you were thirteen. Yeah, yeah, that 13, that 14. I was thirteen. Yeah, yeah. I'm just coming up to fourteen, and that's where I was with Chris Jones. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's kind of uh, that was the start of our you know uh, blossoming careers. Let's say you know moving moving forward. He certainly was the guy, you know, setting the the pace at that point uh, for GP125 level, especially of the young kids. Yeah, you know, obviously you had the other guys, um, you know, with the experience. I think Christian Alkin won the British Championship that season in Who finished second that year? <laughs> <laughs> Big treat. <laughs> oh, you just bring him back all of the Big, tough memories. Yeah, there you Me go. and uh, Christian, we went head to head to the last round. Uh, yeah, he just pipped me to that championship when I, I hit the deck with a few laps to go. But yeah, Sorry that leads to me in next. All good times. This water under the bridge 15 years ago and uh, 15 years worth of. Uh, Psychiatry. We're, <laughs> we're there, we're all good. But that leads me in, I was just going to ask you then after that, because that's where our careers um, first sort of crossed paths yes. at the end of that year, because I was part of the Red Bull Rookies program in yep. 2004. Yeah. So I um, stepped up from the 125 Championship to the British Super Sport the next year, and that's where you and Chris Jones were the next two big prospects. So we went to Mallory Park for uh, the tryouts for who was going to step into my vacant seat for the next year. Yeah. And we'd already been informed it was good. the two guys to look out for were Chris Jones and Bradley Smith. So Johnny Ray was there with me as well. Johnny and I were teammates uh, at that stage in the Red Bull Rookies Project. So we had to keep a, an eye on you guys out on track. And it really was, there was quite a few riders there. I want to say like 20 guys, if not more, had been invited. But we all knew it was that you two guys. So we were out watching around the track. But I remember the same for me whenever uh, I was interviewed um, the year prior. Um, they sat you in a room and they wanted to understand 
what kind of head you had on your shoulders as well because they knew it wasn't just about what was going on on track because we've seen a lot of fast kids and uh, talent doesn't get you all the way in the sport anymore you need to have the full package so when you went into that interview room with uh, the bosses of Red Bull and, and Honda they were there at that stage in the UK what did you tell them? Did you tell them what they wanted to hear or did you tell them what uh, <laughs> you know your true aspirations were because I, honestly the year prior I had told them what they wanted to hear because yeah. um, I knew at that stage I was still thinking about 125 Grand Prix about stepping up uh, but the Red Bull Rookies program in the UK was about competing in the British 125 Championship stepping up to the Super Sport and then eventually the Superbike and um, we knew that's what they wanted to hear what did you tell them? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> Typical Bradley. Um, I mean, I needed the Red Bull project. It's like I said, uh, you know, we were sat across the, the table, uh, you know, with, like I said, with my, with my family, uh, you know, only a couple of months prior going, how are we going to do this and how are we going to go racing? Um, the Red Bull project came along. What a fantastic opportunity, you know, uh, would have been involved in the, the project, a full, um, you know, free ride as such, you know, everything paid for to go racing in, in BSB. But I had bigger dreams. Um, Mark Keane was a massive advocate of racing in Spain. Um, you know, also Ian Edwards as, as well at, at that point. Um, both guys that I knew very, very well. And racing Spain, learning Spain, because if you want to do this, at the level that I wanted to do it because basically when I walked out of motocross I was riding with guys that went to world championship you know my my focus was to make it into uh, you know world championship level and if I was going to step across to road racing then I went with the same target you know and same and same mindset because why would I go into a sport just to be at a lower level than what what I could have been elsewhere so I walked into that room and I had been advised that this was a one two five six hundred British Superbike project, and basically told them that I had no interest in riding tractors. <laughs> uh, that my my sole focus is to get to Spain, and basically uh, at that point try and qualify. You know, because even qualifying in Spain at that level was was difficult. Um, and yeah, basically try and race it in Spain, and then my my dream was to ride in one two five GPs, and that certainly wasn't what they wanted to hear. But also, I think uh, a large part of them massively respected my clarity at that age and my clear clear decision. I think Johnny had actually whispered in my ear as well, walking into the meeting, like you know say that you know even if you don't say that you want to ride in bsb you know like this is a great opportunity but yeah i i just couldn't you know when i actually sat there i i didn't want to tell them something that i didn't want to do and i didn't want to start with people that wanted me to do something that i i didn't want to do and um i'd have rather gone to spain and failed and or potentially came back to that project than than not so yeah i basically uh shot myself in the foot but now, in a way, that, that is admirable because at that age, um, telling a bunch of, of adults that are presenting an opportunity in front of you that, no, this is my long-term goal uh, and just being truthful about it. But like you said, uh, it was a toss-up between you and uh, Chris Jones at that stage. And yeah, essentially, Chris got the ride 
and uh, I'd say that was a deciding factor. But um, as fate would have it, you ended up getting a ride uh, in the Spanish Championship in two thousand and five. Then so all's uh, well that ends well. You know that's uh, an opportunity that uh, wouldn't have presented itself had you told that room full of people uh, what they wanted to hear. You may have ended up as part of the Red Bull Rookies program racing in the UK. Um, as fate would have it a huge door open for you then to yeah. be part of um, yeah, because that the was, academy that was November 2004 so basically yeah. I told you know these guys that I were, wasn't uh, you know wasn't interested in riding in BSB um, so then was back to not having a ride again you know in terms of looking okay SV650 or can we find some money to do um, you know GP125s the next year uh, Mark was going to do a, a team you know for, for 2005 and you know trying to get something together and sure enough four weeks later phone call rang to my dad and uh he basically told me it lasted no more than about a minute and a half <laughs> and basically it was hello i'm alberto pooch and my uh, you know my dad's like alberto who because we were motocrossers <laughs> yeah. you know like no disrespect to the guy but we were motocrossers through and through like you know if i don't know dave thorpe had rung up you know, uh, my dad, you know, he would have, like, known ex- exactly who, who it was. Um, but Alberto Pooch, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, uh, your son has been chosen for Academy. Uh, we send you uh, an email later today to explain all. You're in. Bye. <laughs> and I remember my dad, like, calling him back. And, you know, Alberto's a man of, of, of small words. And he's like, my dad's like... I don't know how to explain this. Are we in to try out or are we in in? <laughs> and I was I understand. You are in in. Stop. <laughs> so yeah, basically the email come through. I come home from school and uh, my dad just showed me this piece of paper and you know, I was going to Spain just after Christmas and you know, I was going to ride in Spanish championship and you know, everything was was going forward. So like you said, that was a a crazy you know, five weeks of, of my career, but one that definitely, st- you know, sent me on, you know, the, the right career path for, for me anyway. Well, that, that's it for a kid of that age. Um, you just never know what's going to happen because there you were looking at riding an SV650, whatever you could get your hands on that following year because our sport is expensive and uh, it's not easy for, for parents to start a kid out. Um, essentially, it's a hobby sport at that stage. And then 12 months later, you'd signed a, a contract to step up to the 125cc World Championship. It's incredible at 15 years of age and you were still at school. Uh, you just moved from motocross, stepped through into road racing, <laughs> stepped into Spain. Uh, and you had to live a fair bit in Spain that year, didn't you? Because that's uh, one thing that I'd always heard. You could have a very good reputation at that uh, stage. You were a workhorse and that was clear. I think even whenever you were at the Red Bull Rookies tryouts, that was clear. You weren't a rider that was maybe just raw talent. You could tell you were a thinker and you were also a grafter, obviously something that your dad had taught you growing up. So whenever you were in Spain that year, everything that filtered back to the UK was like, yeah, Bradley's the first guy to breakfast. Bradley's the first guy out training. Uh, Bradley will do an extra hour training even. You had that reputation and that's all well and good but then at the end of the year what you did backing that up with results that was it you were the full package so for a guy like Alberto Puig, um, at 15 years of age you were ready 
Yeah, it was crazy because basically I started two thousand five, and and like I said, I was I was still riding motocross midway through two thousand four. You know, so this was something that I missed out. Was I was doing Spanish Championship, but basically on my off weekends I would go and ride like in the BYMX or BSMA. Really? So it's like British Youth Motocross, and both were being affected really because you can't really jump from motocross to to road racing. But that's what we decided to do as a family, and we you know we we committed to it. Um, so basically I turned up, you know, 2005 and it was myself, Danny Webb, um, Mike Minerop, uh, Joshua Summer, and both of those guys had finished first and second in the ADAC, uh, Honda Cup the year before. So they had already been riding GP125s for like one or two years. Then we had a friend, uh, Vasquez and Juan Garrido, and they had rode in the Movie Star 600 Cup. Um, the the year before and I think one finished one uh, John won and a friend had finished like fourth or fifth or something something like that but he was perfect size for one two fives as he is, still is now yeah. to this day and I, I was last every every test every supermoto practice you know I was just last because uh you know Danny had kind of come from mini moto, so had like a year, you know, years of like mini moto background. When he jumped for the very first time on the Aprilia Super Team, I think he had an orange bib on, you know, as a rookie. And he was so small. He was so small, but he was winning. Yeah. You know, he was like podium guy or winning. And I just remember like beginning of two thousand five. Yeah, every time my my mechanic even brings it up to me now, he's like, "We were last <laughs> every every day. We we were last, but." Um, yeah, somehow, you know, when it when it finally came to it, you know, the start of the, the season, I managed to at least lift my level to the other guys and then basically just didn't stop, you know, from, from there. So started the season, much like the year before with the super teams, started the season at the the back end of the, the top ten and finished with three three victories, um, at the final three rounds. And that was it then. Then it was like, Okay, well if you can win at Spanish championship level then, you know, you can go to to one two fives, you know, you can step it up to the world level, and the ball was rolling, and 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 away you go. So, you know, the I think I missed out that season in two thousand five by one one point as well yeah. on the championship um, to Mateo Tunes, who I don't even know where he is now. No, I don't know where he went to. We uh, yeah, it's like where <laughs> where are these guys? You know what what are they doing doing now? But towards the end of that year, um, I had met Stefan Bradl. Um, he was riding in uh, KTM at that point. They'd like done a German team, you know, racing in um, German 125s. Mickey Ranseder as well was there at the final couple of rounds for the Spanish Championship. Had seen Tom Luti also um, at the end of 2005. He'd come to Valencia. He actually decided not to race, so not to get in the way of the points uh, yeah. for, the, for the championship. Basically, they... They done their practice as such, you know, during the weekend. But he decided to sit out of the race because uh, he didn't want to interfere with the championship, and they knew how important it was for like a a Dorna rider to potentially win. So, and if he would have taken the points off of me, then I wouldn't have had the calculated chance to, to win, you know, in the in the race. So, yeah, then, well, <laughs> you know, the rest is history. The rest is history. The rest is uh, is what everybody's seen on the on the TV and read in the newspapers. But that uh, moment was pretty decisive because so many British riders had uh, failed before you in Spain 
and even I've been there in 2003 and it was so intimidating because they were all Spanish and a lot of them were on uh, Grand Prix bikes but you were 14 and you weren't intimidated uh, as the rest of us might have been when we, whenever we went there and, and tried. I think we all had it in the back of our head that British riders weren't generally ever going to win in Spanish Championship. You weren't intimidated and you had that confidence in you. Where do you think that came from? Because you were so young and inexperienced. At the start of the year, you were finishing last. That's not something that's going to instill confidence in you. Yet you were really pretty sure of your ability at that stage. And uh, you kept working and ended up winning. Yeah, I think there's a there's a numerous factors. First and foremost, I was very lucky in terms of I was put in a structure that was world class. We had full factory Hondas. Uh, you know, we had the A kit Honda. You know that was there. Um, we were testing their uh, races. Although it was available to everybody else, and most of the other teams did the same things. We were doing two day tests prior to go in there. So about fourteen days out or ten days out, whatever the rules were from racing at those tracks we were doing two two day tests right, yeah um which were only actually only booked for for us um you know within within dawner so basically the track was booked for six riders you know and we'd be going around endless tires endless fuel you know pistons cylinders you know it was just performance and it was saddle time as well and that's not something yeah. that we get you can't buy that no we generally don't get to do it because even nowadays we don't really get the chance to test much. So you were getting saddle time on your race bike. Yeah. So I was really, really lucky in terms of I got probably three or four years of track time, you know, in on the best possible bike with the best possible surroundings. At that point, we had uh, Alex Battier who had worked on one, uh, world championships in 125 and 250 world championship level. We had Santi Hernandez, uh, working for us on suspension we had uh, who is now Mark Marquez's crew chief oh, yeah. we had um, Juan Martinez who had just come from working the previous year with Sete Gibernau so we were loaded you know we had every resource at that point as well our mentor was Raul Hara uh, who had just walked um, I think out of first position in Spanish championship in the 600s but had been in GP 125s the two years prior so luck and the whole package that was given to me you know was more than anything that i could have wished for and certainly got a massive step up in terms of a jump on other english riders um first and foremost but i think in terms of the intimidation in terms of what i thought inside my head is i never thought i could win I, I never sat there and went, I'm going to be a winner, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. It was just, I need to improve, I need to work hard at this. And so much for me was just the process in terms of how do I do this, how do I check the data, how do I improve riding style, pictures, video, follow other riders, try harder, risk more. You know, all those things of like, that's what motocross was. Motocross wasn't necessarily... Um, oh, I need to have this suspension and I need to have this spring and I need to... It was just, you know, from rider point of view, everything. So I always attacked my racing, especially in the early years, with I can make a difference or I need to improve because I'm a motocrosser. So if, if I had bad result, it was always I must do more. And basically, I just carried on doing more and more and more and more. And in the end, you know, 
somehow my talent or whatever, you know, but in the end I got to where I needed to be, you know, and I managed to understand. I, for me, in terms of my head, I got on par with the package that I had. So I had an A kit 125 that was capable of racing in World Championship and basically I just lifted my game and started to ride that package to what it actually, you know, was capable of doing. And then that in turn meant that I was faster than all the other guys and I won races. You know, that that's that's, that's how I it. Yeah, that was how I But that, that I is uh, that's really smart when you think about that because your only rival was uh, the you of the day before. <laughs> You were just um, working to improve yourself because if you were to look at the guy that was uh, two seconds a lap faster than you, that automatically, in your head, that, that thought comes in, oh, I'm never going to beat that guy. Whereas if you just focus on yourself and chip away at how you're going to get better, then uh, it's almost ignoring the other guys. It's just putting blinkers on and knowing that if uh, you work on improving yourself, then uh, you're, you're going to be fighting with that guy. But that's maybe the problem is that guys look up to the guy that is winning and that thought comes in your head I'm never going to be that quick and it's hard to fight that so putting the blinkers on and just focusing on what you can do better uh, that was um, that was pretty clever at that age so you were a kid that was uh, obviously thinking about things you had an element of talent but it was uh, the ability just um, not to be intimidated be confident in yourself and just uh, trust in the process yeah, and, and it worked, you know, uh, and I can't explain to you how, I probably couldn't replicate it again, but I just basically looked at the resources that I had and, you know, just tried to take everything from as, as, as many people as, as you possibly could. Um, and also, you're competitive, you know, and I think that's one of the things, it's like, you want to do better, you don't want to be last. Um, I come from winning in motocross, and like I said, there was no point in me going to do a sport that I couldn't win at. Yeah. And I think that kind of thing was, I never went into road racing thinking I was going to be a GP rider. I never went into world championship, uh, you know, one, two, fives thinking uh, I was going to be pole position. I was going to get podium. It was just, I don't want to be doing a sport that I at one point didn't really enjoy. You know, I, I was a motocrosser. I loved to jump. I loved to, you know, to, to whip, to scrub, however you wanted to call it at that point. You know, I love that feeling of, of riding a motocross bike and still do to this day. And it was kind of like, I need to make this road racing work, otherwise I'm just going to go back. You know, <laughs> I was kind of forced down this way and it's like, okay, I, 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 need, I need to win, I want to win because I could win in motocross. You know, so it was kind of, I'd give myself like two, three years in terms of, well, if I can't win at this, you know, then I'll then I'll go back. I you know, like we said, I was still only fifteen years old. I could have stepped back into motocross at any point, and I was still riding. You know, what practice yeah. tracks and stuff. Um, but yeah, once you, I basically gave myself three years. I did it in two. Uh, you know, and then it was world championship from there, and you know, then then you were, you know, signed to pro contract, and then you're like, well. Kind of committed to this now. <laughs> I made it, made it to the world level. Okay, well, let's use the same mentality and philosophy, and let's see how this works. You know, and uh, yeah. Well, that's uh, the final topic I wanted to touch on. There is because in our sport, you don't road race from a kid. You generally nowadays you can step into road racing on smaller bikes at maybe eleven years old. For me, it was fourteen years old. For you, it was thirteen years old. Um, 
whenever you are growing up riding motocross, you were a motocross rider. Yeah. <laughs> you loved motocross, like you said. Somebody like Dave Thorpe was an idol. And whenever um, the first um, time it was mentioned of moving to road racing with your dad, Alan, your friend, Craig. Yeah. Um, did they propose to you that, look, if you want to make a career at racing bikes, son, it's 10, I would say 10 times more likely that you're going to become a professional rider at road racing rather than motocross, because that is the truth. There's so many great motocross riders, but wow, is it tough to become a pro motocross rider? Is that something they proposed to you at that age or were you still doing it as a hobby? Yeah, no, that was the, that was the thought process. Like for me, initially from my dad's point of view, it was just for my body. You know, uh, okay. I was just getting battered, you know, riding motocross, waking up in the morning, you got bad back, you got bad ankles, you know, I'm 12 years old. And I remember walking to school on a Monday morning, like, oh man, I didn't even crash yesterday, <laughs> but the wear and tear was hard. And my dad went through a whole career, and at that point, you know, of, of his life, um, he's 35 years old, and he said, like, you know, walking down the stairs was difficult in the morning, uh, you know. So, from his point of view, was always like that. He'd also seen John Reynolds, and John Reynolds was someone that my dad raced AMCA motocross with. And at that point, he was um, British Superbike champion. And my dad's kind of philosophy was like, well, if John Reynolds can be BSB champion and my dad kind of was like, he saw at what level John rode, uh, you know, um, motocross and looked at me and was like, well, Brad can't be that far, you know, <laughs> behind there must, you know, if he, if he can get on with it, he'd be all right. And then actually, um, we'd seen Johnny Ray as well, um, who at the time was riding one, two fives. I was riding eighty fives. Um, he'd gone, you know, to, to the Red Bull program. Uh, I think I went to Thruxton to watch him race in 2002, I think it was, or beginning of 2003, I don't really remember. But we kind of parked on hard stand, you know, uh, you know, everything was concrete, you weren't being towed in and out of a... Uh, no pressure washers. Yeah, no pressure washers. Clean. Yeah, you weren't being towed in and out of a field, <laughs> <laughs> paying the tractor guy 20 quid to, you know, get out early or something like that. Um, and my dad was sold on it and to be honest so was I you know Johnny was riding a scooter around the paddock people would like clean his helmet for him uh, you know he'd take it to, to Arai I think at the time they'd like clean and prep it you know do the, the you know the, the tear offs you know I remember my mum doing my tear offs you know in the back of the <laughs> the caravan you know and he was going to this truck and yeah just step by step it kind of made sense I wasn't sold on the idea and I didn't really enjoy it but kind of with, with Craig and my dad it was a massive thing in terms of you know for, for body for health not really thinking about making money because I don't think you ever think about making a career out of this especially at that age it's never I'm gonna make... well you're at school as well and at school they're telling you that's not a real job. No. You've got to go to university. <laughs> You've got to get a degree to get a real job. Yeah. Enjoy riding your bikes at the weekend. So how would you think it's a career? Yeah, work, like, what do they call it? Um, the old career advisors. Yeah, yeah. They definitely didn't understand my thought process at that age. And probably neither did my parents and neither did a lot of people because let's be honest, out of you know the thousands that do ride motorcycles, there's not many of us that actually make yeah, it. We're, we're all dreamers. We are. We are until it becomes a reality. So, um, you know, from, from that point of view, 
And then I think the, the real sticking point for my dad was I was only successful at motocross because my dad did it. Uh, you know, and he'd hear that. I, I obviously, at 12 years old, you, you never hear it, but I only heard it because my dad did it, then that's the reason why I'm successful. Um, I had my own practice track. Um, ah, he can go practicing, you know, uh, every, every day. He's out practicing every day. Truth be told, my dad worked. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky if I got a Wednesday afternoon after school, and that would be because my mum, uh, you know, loaded the the van, or my dad loaded it. My mum come to the school with the the bike in the back of the van, and she picked me up and she took me. You know, amount of times that we couldn't start the bike because we didn't put the fuel, you know, <laughs> tap on, or you know, some, some dark thing. You know, we we're trying to bump it down the road, and then we actually realised that the fuel's off or on reserve or something daft, and you know, 15 minutes of running up and down. But, you know, that was the reason why. And my dad kind of didn't want my success to be almost overshadowed or there to be an excuse. So also for him, it was like, well, if my son goes road racing, I have no idea about road racing. And if he ever does anything in this, this is all for him, you know. Um, And, yeah, you know, which I think was... A little bit overthinking from from his point of view, um, but yeah, like basically, I've got where I have, in his eyes, all by myself because I didn't have a teacher. I've had teachers along the way, and you've taken from different people, learned from riders and mentors and mechanics and so on and so forth. But you know, there was no, ah, you did this because of this, um, which. Yeah, I think from his point of view is something that he can sit back and was like, you know, good job, son. You know, (laughs) you did it. it. This is all all by yourself. Um, You know, he had, he always says his only part of my uh, success in road racing now was uh, a little bit of fun that he had with my mum from 1990. (laughs) 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 Which is not something you need to hear from your dad. Trust Alan, that's just a topic you should never (laughs) speak about with your son. That's that's literally his only, uh, he said that's his only point, you know, to to the success that I've had in road racing. So um, I think that the nice thing uh, with our dads is being able to share in uh, the success we have now. That's um, really cool when you see your dad at the races with you as well. And he's there celebrating the success because um, we didn't get here alone. Mm-hmm. When we were kids at school, you, were, you weren't getting any uh, money in your pocket. School really didn't pay uh, a great wage. <laughs> so <laughs> it was your parents that were uh, fitting the bills to start out at that age. And uh, it's nice that they can share in the success now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's only now that you appreciate that, I think, as well. I think also looking from, from your point of view with... With three brothers, you know, it's only the time now that you actually go, how how did they manage it? Yeah, I can't imagine being a parent and doing uh, what my parents did. Yeah. Well, it's some undertaking. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's been pretty interesting. And that's uh, cool to speak with you for our first episode. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. Um, cheers for your time, Brad. That no worries. Was, uh, pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, let's see what the car drivers and cyclists have to say for themselves. That's really. it. I'm going to address in comparison. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, interested to, to hear it and see it because uh, especially where we are, where we're based, um, there's a, a lot of people from a lot of different different places and it'd be interesting to, to know how we all ended up here. 
Yeah, it's true. We're all ended up together within a few hundred meters of each other. Yeah, not only, you know, professionals in what we do, but, you know, kind of location as well. And, you know, like, what is the story that took you from, you know, uh, a muddy field somewhere in, you know, in a, in the back of a transit, you know, because we've all done it, um, you know, to uh, to be in down by, you know, the sea in the south of France. So, yeah, good yeah, luck cool. with the, the rest of them. I look forward to hearing it. Thanks, Matt. Be cool. Catch you later. <laughs>